With me today, my longtime friend, Todd Jordan, VP of Pecan Entertainment out of Winnipeg, Manitoba. And Todd, you are celebrating 20 years in the industry. We were just talking about that. What keeps you going, man? Well, uh, the uh, the forced break we just have uh, gave me a bit of a reset, gave me a bit, bit of extra energy. Um, what keeps me going? I love what I do. I love the artists. I love the music. I love everything about it. Did you ever have any aspirations to be a songwriter or musician yourself? No, man. I came to the business. I was in the pizza business in my early 20s. Um, when that fell apart, I went to back to university, did a degree in criminology, and I didn't had no career prospects at all. And one day the phone rang and a friend of mine said, hey, we're hiring at Pekin. You want to be an agent? I was like, well, I don't know what that is, but sign me up. And uh, here we are 20 years later. So pizza to criminology to entertainment. That is a unique journey. Yeah, Yeah. definitely a unique journey. So um, what was it that that kept you in it? I mean, obviously you love music and you mentioned that, but at some point there must've been this idea to, you know, either stick with it in the early days, because as everybody knows, if you're an agent, it's not like you're getting rich right off the bat, right? It's it's tough to grind it and build up a client base and, build up your your reputation with buyers, but you stuck with it. So did you see from the beginning the potential and what it could be for you? Or was it just one of those things where you're like, I'm at this place in my life where I'm sticking with something? No, it was definitely uh, the former. I have an entrepreneurial spirit um, and I saw that there was no ceiling here. Um, the, the effort I put in could equal what I took out of it. So I, I appreciated that there was no ceiling on it. If I went and worked hard, I would do better. I would make more money and, and have more success. Not only that, though, I loved the people I work with. Uh, Gilles Paquin, Julian Paquin, they you know, have become two of my greatest friends over the years. And coming to work with them every day was uh, it kept me going. Beautiful people. Yeah. Both Gilles and Julian. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah. Full disclosure, I am... Um, Consider joining the team there at one point, and I tried to hire you at one point when I started my own thing. That's right. That's so right. yeah, we've uh, we've known each other for years and been traveling in a lot of the same circles. So tell me, what was the first time that you got excited about someone that you signed and represented? Uh, uh, go back to those early days when you were like, okay, I've done something that I can tell family and friends about. I'm very proud of. I want to say it was 2004. I saw a solo country singer songwriter named Cor Blund at the uh, Ironwood in Calgary playing to 40 or 50 people. It wasn't a sellout. Um, but everybody there was singing along to every song. And I went, there's something here, you know, fast forward. I think it was 2008. We sold out Rexall in Edmonton with them. So it was, you know, it was from the, from the coffee house to the arena. And that journey was incredible. You know, and that what was one think of the it is about. What do you think it is about Corblund that that substantiates his appeal? I think it's, I mean, lyrically, he's very, very good. Um, I think musically, he's outstanding. The band around him is outstanding. And he has a great connection to Canadiana. Uh, you know, he's part of the fabric of this industry. And full disclosure, we don't work together anymore. But it's, you know, we had such a great run together. And I have so much respect for what he's accomplished um, that I, I look back very fondly on it. These things sometimes circle back around. You just never know. You never know. It happened once, right, with Corb, where he it did. Yeah. went to the agency group back in the day, mm-hmm. and then he circled back and re-signed with you guys. And and so uh, who knows? Could happen mm-hmm. again. And yeah. yeah, he's a he's a very interesting cat because he only really had two big songs at radio. That's right. Um, uh, Truck got stuck, and 
and uh, hair in my eyes like a Highland steer, but he never really broke through traditionally with a no, radio, um, uh, with you know, by penetrating the marketplace through radio. He was able to do it through other means, and That's just true. by touring like crazy and building a following. Like Nobody that. worked harder, man. Nobody worked harder. He played every nook and cranny everywhere, and and gave it his all at every show he did, and it was um, that translated in a fan base that stayed with him through thick and thin. What did you learn through the experience of working with him that has benefited you as an agent with more clients that you've gone on to represent? His, the, the, the woman who was managing him at the time was his partner, Debbie Dilworth, and she was very uh, resolute in making sure the deals were tight. Every dollar was accounted for and every deal was fair. And so I, I learned how to pay attention to the, to the details and how to maximize revenue and how to, I was a very young agent at the time. And, and largely what I was booking was in the arts councils and the theaters where they're flat deals. And, you know, you had to grow to understand these, the back end. how, how does an artist really maximize those ticket sales? Um, so I think that's what I took out of that one the most is, is really just how to maximize a deal. And you really start to become familiar with the concept of a fair spend on say marketing or rent That's or right. you start to production yeah. versus someone padding the shit out of it. Right? And I'll tell you, Corb had confidence because he'd say, we're going to go into a bar. I know it's going to sell out. So I don't need a guarantee. Just give me all the ticket ribbon. And, and so it was, you know, we just, we'll, we'll take the risk too, because we know it's going to work, but we want to make a commensurate amount of money. Uh, and that was a good strategy. But that's, that's a, level of confidence that is definitely a, held by a minority of artists, managers, and industry people in this business. Most people won't do that. No, most people won't. And I think that there's a fair argument to be made that if a promoter has skin in the game in terms of a guarantee, uh, they may be more likely to, to hustle. Um, we never believed that. We always believed that everybody's goal was the same. Get enough bodies in the room. We're all going to make money. We're all going to come out of it well. Uh, and, and that or out. Yeah. And if the promoter's got a good enough reputation and you know that they're going to be working hard and, and you also know too, that a promoter, even if they're not allocating money for a guarantee, they still have expenses uh, to put on the show. So they're yeah. still spending money on marketing production, uh, everything from ticket takers to staff. So there's still a level of cash outlay, even if it's not directly contributing uh, in the beginning to an artist guarantee. So mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's figuring that out. And then from there, your career obviously continued to evolve. And you guys really took an interest in country music when almost nobody else in Canada was right. at the time. Yep. And, and what stimulated that? Well, I think we saw that there was a um, space in the marketplace. Um, you know, there was, um, geez, Jim, I forget the name of the company you worked with in Calgary. Key, Key Entertainment. Yeah. Uh, you know, they were they were doing the, a bunch of country stuff, but we saw that there was a there was an opening. Um, so we started working with Doc Walker, a Manitoba band. Uh, they started to have success. Um, we started working with the Road Hammers when they had their first hit. Um, you know, the list goes on and on, and we started to spin from there. At the same time, we were developing outside of country. We had Tegan and Sarah. We had Serena Ryder. I signed the Sheepdogs, which is another great small venue to big venue story. Um, so we were able to develop both things all at the same time. You were working with the Sheepdogs when they were featured prominently by Rolling Stone, correct? We signed the Sheepdogs two years before the Rolling Stone thing happened. 
Um, and then we lived through that contest with them. And then Julian and I were fortunate enough to be in New York when they were unveiled on the cover uh, with a billboard at Times Square. And that certainly a career highlight. Definitely. Have you had anything that's compared to that since? No, that's that was pretty unique. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, so you guys have also, I mean, obviously you built out this great reputation in country music and that continues today, but you built out other aspects of the business through theater, uh, through working with the, um, uh, the ballet, uh, yeah. through working with, you know, obviously Gilles has a background in children's entertainment. Like you've been very diversified over the years. So talk a little bit about that and why that seems to be at the root of your ethos as a company. Well, it's interesting because Gilles always preached to us the you know, art is art. And whether it's a country music song or it's a the sheepdog song on rock radio or it's the Royal Winnipeg Ballet, it's just, it's all, great art is great art. I mean, right now we've got exhibitions um, running around North America and outside of North America around their digital, their immersive exhibitions around the work of Van Gogh. Um, and that's been a huge success for us. And it's great art is great art. So the, the ballet stuff we really grabbed onto. I toured the Royal Winnipeg Ballet around the world. I did multiple tours of China, multiple tours of Europe. Um, we work with Le Ballet Jazz de Montreal, uh, again, who I toured around the world for a number of years. And it's, I think it gives us a breadth of knowledge as an agency that maybe, maybe others aren't fortunate enough to have had. Yeah, you develop the contacts in some of those territories and you can yeah. sell them other stuff. You know, that's the beautiful thing about getting a client that that has a a world renowned reputation. That's right. Is that you can start to sow the seeds for what other opportunities might be fostered out of that. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And have you been able to do that in this case? Yeah, we have. I mean, it's, you know, we did Canada's Royal Winnipeg Ballet in China two times, Le Ballet Jazz de Montreal in China a few times. We're now working on this immersive exhibition of Van Gogh going to China. So it's, you know, the, the contacts remain the same. And it's, again, there's a deal's a deal, right? A, a person who's in the business of entertainment wants to do a deal on a property that's going to generate revenue. And whether that's a, not to, not to bring it all down to the money, but it's, you know, a deal on the Royal Winnipeg Ballet is, is wonderful. It's great art. You, it can be great commerce too. Likewise, this Van Gogh thing can be great commerce. So those contacts carry through. Speaking about the money, you've got a great reputation yourself. You're obviously a producer, um, a, a financial producer, an economic driver for that company. Uh, but you have chosen to stay within the family at Pecan, not go out on your own over the years. And that has to be because there's some advantage to you to remaining uh, part of something that is larger than yourself. Talk a little bit about that. I, um, I'm a loyal man and they gave me a job as a pizza guy, uh, you know, back in 2001. And I, and I always thought, you know, geez, I don't think anybody else would have ever given me this chance. Um, they've, the company has supported me no matter what I wanted to do. And the company allows me to stay in Winnipeg, which is not a, a typical place for a music industry guy to live. And I, I don't want to leave. So it's it's just an environment that has really been has really helped me grow in a way I want to grow, and I see no reason to leave. And there's probably a lot more uh, in terms of resources. Uh, you know, you've got expertise that you can tap. You've got a couple of great guys who can mentor you yes. uh, through difficult situations, and those are advantages that, frankly, you don't have when you're out on your own. No, you don't. And it's you know, I can 
draw on Jill's experience, be it promoting Kenny Rogers in 1984 or, or being, you know, Jill was on stage with the Royal Winnipeg Ballet um, in Greece. Uh, he wasn't a dancer, but, you know, so his, he, he covers the gamut of entertainment options. The other thing we've done is we've brought in guys from other companies through the pandemic, Andre Garrett from Paradigm, Jason Furman from Feldman, and they bring in a depth of knowledge too that helps us grow. I, I don't know what it's like to work for a big American company, but if I need to understand something that maybe Andre can tell me. Um, so we've got, you know, we've added to that wisdom around us. And I, I think that's been a great step forward. Yeah. You guys made some big moves. Like I said, during the pandemic, you brought on a bunch of staff, you signed a bunch of artists, uh, not exactly at when most people were shrinking or divvying up their roster to decide who they were going to keep and who they were going to let go and yeah. doing the same thing with their staff. You guys were hiring and expanding. So what was the impetus behind that bold vision? Well, we thought that there was a unique moment in time where incredibly talented people were available where they wouldn't have otherwise been. So we thought, you know, we, we weighed the risk. We thought we'll take the risk. If we go down, if the pandemic continues and we go down, we're going to go down swinging. Um, and I think, you know, the, the way it's playing out, we were right. Um, we also were fortunate in that we launched these immersive exhibitions about midway through the pandemic, and that's really borne a lot of fruit. Um, so it's, it's made us way more comfortable with some of that risk. Good on you, man. It's amazing to see. Yeah. Yeah. We also started um, recently, another one we started during the pandemic was a brand partnerships division uh, out of our Toronto office that's already starting to bear some fruit. So it's, uh, it's an exciting time for us. So what are you finding that brand partners are looking for in terms of artist partnerships? Is it more lifestyle or are they just looking for how many Instagram, TikTok and Facebook followers you have? Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I'm, I'm not as involved in that side of the business as I would like to be. But one example is we just did a deal for Serena Ryder to be the face of a non-alcoholic beer called Libra. That's been an amazing partnership. Serena's very, um, the lifestyle uh, thing you're talking about, she's very into wellness and promoting that side of things. So that was a really great case where we could find a, a brand that wanted to partner with an artist to um, bring light to a, a lifestyle choice one can make. Speaking of lifestyle, you're a runner, correct? I, I, I try, yeah, when, when I'm not injured, yeah. And you were just recovering from an injury recently. Uh, yeah, right? a torn meniscus, yeah. I was, I was doing pretty good through the pandemic, staying um, disciplined. I tore my meniscus, had to get surgery, so that uh, took me off for a while. Prior to the injury, how many miles were you running a day, generally? I, was probably, I mean, I'm not a huge runner. I was maybe doing 20 miles a week. That's significant. Yeah. It's not yeah. insignificant. Yeah, it's three not miles a day. Yeah. Yeah. I also play squash three, four times a week, which is which is probably where I keep getting hurt. You know. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> All of that uh, yeah. high impact movement. That's right. That's right. And uh, it seems to be something running, at least, seems to be something in athleticism that you and Julian sort of gravitated towards at similar times in your career. It was just like I remember one year at the CCMAs. I ran into both of you. I'm like, you guys have both dropped a ton of weight. You look great. What have you been doing? And you both confessed to me that you'd started running. Yeah. So um, obviously it's something that that both of you love and probably in some ways helps you in many aspects of your job in terms of energy and and the ability to navigate disappointment because your your hormone levels are just at a different place. 
man, I don't know what I'd do without the exercise. I don't know how I would, um, there's so much stress in this job and it's such a, the phone's always ringing. There's something always happening. There's always, you know, we can never rest on our laurels. There's always the next thing. And for me going for a run purges my brain and I can think more clearly. And it's almost like taking a break while I'm running, you know, it's, uh, my mind is clear. Yeah. You have a meditative effect. I think that's right. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. um, Yeah. Like I say, it clears your mind, but it also does several other things, you know, like gives you the opportunity to surmount something physically that bolsters your confidence in your ability to surmount other things that you might encounter that day. And um, yeah, I'm happy to see that trend in the last decade, I would say in our industry where more people on the industry side of it and artists as well, are starting to take their physicality much more seriously. Yeah. Used to be this business was all about, you know, if you listen to the stories in the eighties, it was a lot of booze, cocaine and yeah. good times. But, uh, but I don't imagine that contributed well to longevity overall. I wouldn't think so. And listen, I love a martini as much as the next guy, but you know, I still want to get up and go for a run the next day. Yeah, for sure. What are some of your favorite places to uh, travel to around North America when you're when you're taking into context the fact that you do you are a runner and you like to get out and go for a run, um, but you're on the road a lot or you will be as soon as the pandemic you know lifts or subsides to some degree. What are your some favorite? My favorite, things? my favorite city in the world is New York, um, and in terms of running, there's just nothing better than getting out for a run in Central Park. Uh, the people around, the energy of the city. It's, um, I, I love New York City. You haven't been mugged yet, obviously? I haven't. I go I go again in January. <laughs> but you haven't been mugged in Central Park? No, I haven't obviously. been mugged. Not even, no, That's no, good. no. Although law and okay. order, it should happen more often. But yeah, it's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm glad to hear that. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the other side of this pandemic, how do you think live entertainment is going to change? Do you see your role or the roles of agents and agencies in general shifting it all um what are what's your take i think if if anything we're going to become more important because it's going to be very as as we as we figure out what the consumer confidence is going to be to go to shows coming out of the pandemic our role of figuring out the correct ticket prices the correct venue size these things that agents do i think is going to become more important because i i don't know what the consumer appetite is going to be um for a while some of the trends you're seeing well, for a while, I thought it was going to be like the Roaring Twenties. There were people who were itching to get out, um, you know, and I think we saw that bear out through the summer. The shows were packed and come the fall, tickets were hard to sell. Um, and it's, you know, I, I, as this fourth wave comes, it'll be interesting how that impacts, you know, Q1, Q2 of 2022. Are people buying tickets? Um, I tend to think they will. I tend to think that people will become more comfortable with living with COVID and and they'll want to go do things. And there's nothing better than getting out to a live show to have that personal connection, that connectivity with an artist, the energy of seeing an artist that we've all been missing at home for a year and a half. Yeah. We did a lot of, uh, you know, zoom corporate shows and we did, uh, you know, 50 drive-in shows the first year, but those things are just proxies, man. They're, they're, they're not at all a representation of the real thing. No, no, I agree. No. You just can't replace it. Do you worry a little bit about consumer confidence? I mean, we just put up our ZZ Top Cheap Trick Tour, and so far the numbers are strong. I'm excited to see that. I think that's partially because those dates are in May. They're a long way away, and people are not as concerned about a fourth wave or a fifth wave maybe by then. That's right. Um, but 
it's been a little alarming in the early going, um, like you alluded to ticket sales, not being as bullish this fall as we all would have liked to have seen. Yeah, I think it's, um, I, I go back and forth and it depends on the day you ask me. Um, today I'm bullish. I, I think we're, I think we're rounding the corner. I think people are going to start buying tickets. I think next, I believe in my heart of hearts that people are going to be back at shows. But if you'd asked me last week, I was down on it. Ah, it's going to be a while. So, you know, I think like a lot of things in this pandemic, my, it ebbs and flows with my mood. Yeah, fair enough. I mean, I have those days too, where it's like, are we in the right business? And then there's <laughs> yeah. days where it's like, man, this is going to be huge. 2022 is going to be a crazy year. Yeah. So yeah, it just sort of depends on where your head's at at the time. And, and I think too, that I like what you said about all of us learning to live with COVID because um, I think part of the, the illusion of this thing is that we can make it go away. And, yeah. and, some of that is due to the fact that as a society, we are conditioned to this idea that innovation always bails our asses out. Yeah. You know, like somebody invents a cure-all uh, pill or shot or technology that just saves humanity. And, and this problem may be a little bit more complex. It seems to be showing that it is or indicating yeah. that it is. And if that's going to be the case, then we need to be a little bit more holistic about our approach. So, yes get vaccinated. Yes. Uh, wear a mask where appropriate, you know, but also make sure you're exercising, you Eating know, right. drinking. Yeah, lots of totally. I was These are all tools in the toolkit, right? And we've got, it. Veggies, we've got it. Drink your water and break a sweat. Yeah. Right. Those are yep. three important things that we don't see a lot of people talking about. And that's right. obviously I know you're somebody who practices that not just preaches it. Yep. That's right. I, I think all of those things are important and we need to be availing ourselves of all possible tools uh, to, to get to the other side of this thing. Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. And I get too that the government is trying to manage this thing at scale. And so they start with uh, the most obvious things first, uh, that being the vaccine, obviously. It's like, yeah. let's get people vaccinated. And, you know, I get it. Um, but I certainly wish there was more discussion and talk from the very beginning about, hey, listen, do not gain 15 pounds during COVID. That's not a good plan, yeah, right? Like you're going to be tempted to order and skip the dishes and stay yep. home and sit on your couch and stream Netflix. But we need people to get out and go for walks. We need people mm -hmm. to get out and, and get some fresh air every once in a while. And, you know, we just didn't hear a lot of that, which is too bad. You know, it's interesting. The city of Winnipeg did promote a lot of that stuff. They shut down some streets and made them specifically for walking in the summer or walking in the winter, biking and walking in the in this in the summer. And, and you'd walk down the street. It was incredible how many people were out there. So, so I think, you know, on a, on a small scale, some places did promote those things. And I agree. It's very important. Yeah, we just didn't see it on the grand scale no. quite as much. I mean, there's still lots of people out there preaching good health and have been for years, but um, it was interesting and positive for me to hear that the city of Winnipeg did that because, uh, you know, in places like um, L.A., they were actually actively closing down the parks and uh, telling people to I stay think that home. happened in Toronto, too. Uh, they have, some of the basketball courts were closed and, the, you know, it's kind of odd. I mean, we knew pretty early on that this thing wasn't very transmissible outside. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it's frustrating when you sit back and watch these problems. And you and I come from, we come from the world of problem solving. Yes, we're adding value, but really what we're doing when you boil it all down is we're solving problems. You have an artist 
who wants to create a profile and drive revenue, and we help them close that gap by giving them solutions to their perceived problem or real problem. And uh, it felt like on a macro level, some of our elected officials were really slow on the policy catching up with the science. Yeah. You know, it was like, why are you guys closing parks? Like people need to be out. Yeah. You know, we know this thing doesn't spread outside. Like what the hell's going on here? It's not a conspiracy. It's just, it's just not what large entities managing at scale and, and, uh, and getting bogged down. And never mind the risk of the COVID it's, you know, getting outside with helps with one's mental health with these other very significant mm-hmm. problems that have to be dealt with. And, and these are, yeah, they're important conversations. How was it having the kids at home? How was it having the kids at home? Well, it depends on the day. Um, they did not enjoy schooling from home. Um, they found it very difficult. Uh, missed their they, friends. They missed their friends. They missed their grandparents. Um, so, but there were great days. You know, we we have a place just north of the city, a cabin that we got to go to a lot more than usual, and they really liked that. Um, you know, we spent more time outside. We got in the lake more often. We were out for walks. So, so, and they enjoyed having dad home. I think they enjoyed having dad home for an extended period of time, you know, cause I, sure their whole lives I've been on the road a week every month. So, you know, for me to be there 18 months straight was very different. In your personal life, getting the opportunity to step off the hamster wheel or the treadmill, so to speak of our yeah. business and getting that time to reset and spend some time with your family did that have an effect on how you want to manage your time moving forward in the future? I, I, I hope so. I hope that the, the treadmill doesn't just start up again and I jump on and can't get off. I enjoyed spending more time with my family. Um, and I intend to try to continue that. Um, this business moves very fast, uh, you know, and, and, you know, one wants to keep up at all times. So I, I, I intend to try to better balance work and life. Good man. Glad to hear it. If yeah. there's any blessings that came out of this for those of us in the music industry who saw our business crippled, I, I think it's what you just touched on right there, which is the yeah. fact that we all realize that what we do for our clients is of paramount importance and you've got to be on the road and you cannot yeah. abdicate your responsibilities but there's probably a better way to manage it if we actually dug in and took some time to go, you know what? These are three events that I've been to three years in a row. I'm not sure I need to be at them this year. That's right. That's you right. It's as, it's as simple as that. Do I have to go every year? And the answer is probably no. Yeah. And um, prioritizing those weekends and that time with your kids. Yeah. And if, if there was a gift of, of the pandemic and, and there weren't many, but it was time, you know, having that time to be with people and to stop and slow down and, um, and, and think about what we're doing and where we're going. I, I think there was some value in that. So professionally speaking, and I understand things are still a little uncertain, a little murky. What's next for you? What's next for Pecan? What should people look forward to? Well, I think that we, we've hired these people through the course of the pandemic. Um, even uh, Vesna, who came over from Feldman before the pandemic. We don't know what our team can do yet. Um, we've always been operating under these restricted touring um, situations. So I don't, I just don't think we know what the power of our team is going to be. We know it's going to be amazing. Um, but for us now coming out of it is to put that into practice and see how we function together, see how we service our clients properly, make sure everyone's playing the shows they want to and need to be playing. 
And I, I think that with the team we have, we're going to be more effective at delivering those things. Um, we'll see. Feeling good about it, buddy. Feeling yeah. positive. Yeah. Thanks for taking the time to do this. I appreciate you. Of course. Your- Absolutely. Anytime. Oh,